Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Rebecca Lillian from Rebecca Drives. And I'm Sam abual Samich from Guidehouse Insights. So welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is episode 161. And let's jump right into, into vehicles, into what we're driving. Uh, so I'll just go down the list. Sam, you've been in the Cadillac CT5 Premium Luxury All-Wheel Drive 550T. <laughs> Rolls they're right le- off the tongue. They're, they're, they're learning from BMW. <laughs> the, yeah, the 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 car that is really good, but they really should focus on making better luxury crossovers that people pay attention to because nobody's going to buy this. Although it's selling all right. Yeah, it's it's actually not selling bad, you know. And it's you know this is an indirect re- replacement for the CTS, and it's actually selling better than the CTS was. I think uh, it you know launched late last year, went on sale late you know late last year, um, and then obviously got stalled out in the spring. But uh, you know this is their their midsize sedan, and it's actually a, a little bit smaller overall, a little shorter overall than the CTS was, but it has a longer wheelbase and it's actually roomier inside than the CTS was. And it, I, I really liked driving this thing. It was, it was really good. You know, when, when That's we first, everything I've heard is that it's, it's great to drive. It's actually better than the CTS. Bus. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, when, when we first saw this thing last year, when they first dropped some photos of it, the, the original batch of photos they, they showed before they did a, you know, brought media in and, and showed it to us. Um, the photos were not great, <laughs> especially, um, you know, kind of the back quarter of the car the, from the front. It looked, looked great. The back quarter of the car, it, it didn't really do it justice. And, you know, when you actually see it in person, it actually looks a lot better. I think, um, you know, it's, it's got, you know, the, the typical fastback sedan styling now, um, although it is a sedan, it's not a hatchback. Uh, the, the, you know, if there's, if there's a flaw to the design, you know, it's in the C pillar area where they did this thing, you know, where, because of the fastback, you know, you have this kind of chunk in there between the, the back edge of the door. They didn't want to make the C, they didn't want to make the C pillar look solid and heavy right there. So instead of putting in a little piece of glass there, they actually put in a piece of black plastic in that corner there, which and then they called attention to it. Yes, <laughs> which makes it look sort of heavy. <laughs> yeah, so it's you know with that little funky like the the weird I don't know dip in the trim that it does there. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's got it's got a you know that that line that belt line there you know is very reminiscent of the current the, the current generation Honda Accord, uh, which. You know, not it's not that it's bad, but it doesn't look original, unfortunately. Um, but the rest of the car looks great, uh, and you know, I've, you know, once you get inside, you know, I have no complaints about it. Um, you know, one of the complaints we have had about some Cadillacs of late is that the the materials and the the, the fin you know the fit and finish 
didn't really look up to par for, you know, for a premium vehicle. You know, some of the plastics looked a little, little cheaper than they should. This one definitely looked and felt better, you know, and, and when I actually saw the car in person last year for the first time before the New York auto show last year, uh, you know, I, I got the same impression, you know, it, it looks fairly premium. So, you know, no complaints about the interior design um, for the most part. There are, couple of little oddities like for example you know um, there's actually three three different volume controls on this thing there is a volume knob uh, at the lower left corner of the touchscreen there's also a volume knob on the console beside the the little uh, jog dial controller and then of course you have the the volume controls on the steering wheel and this has the same steering wheel that you were complaining about Rebecca on the XT6 last time um, where they did kind of an odd layout with the um, the forward reverse buttons and the volume controls you know so the volume the volume the two volume switches are on on the lower edge of this the right hand spoke so you're going left and right to go up and down with the volume and then the forward reverse buttons are to, towards the inner part of the spoke next to the, the hub of the steering wheel. So you're pressing up, up and down to go forward and back, and it really should kind of be the reverse of that. Thank you for validating but, my, my feelings of oh, inadequacy in yeah. handling that. <laughs> yeah, no. But, I mean, it makes well, sense, right? Well, when you not, want to turn the volume up, you press the up button. Right? Yeah, that ex- makes sense. exactly. Like, it's, it doesn't make logical sense. It's kind of like the old, uh, the original Audi MMI system where they had, you know, the oh, graphics were kind of, uh, art, you know, it was a circular graphical design, you know, yeah. but and you, the, the MMI, the stupid knob turned the wrong direction. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. it like, why? And the, you know, you get the German answer. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. The way you do it is it's that's like, how it is. And you will like it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Give but, me a software like switch. I can adjust yeah. it. Like, and they should do that for the, the volume and the, like they can switch that uh, in software. I guarantee you Cadillac can switch that. Yeah. So that the, the up down rocker does volume and left, right. Except, does, except the buttons are labeled. So, you know, well, that's, that's their own fault. I don't yeah, understand I don't. how that, and I'm digressing. How does that get past design? Like, are we the only ones that think that's weird? No, there's so many decisions that happen like that. It's like, did you do human factor studies? Did you guys just get so far inside your own project that you, you changed something fundamental, but got so used to it that um, it's now a shock when everybody's first sort of attempt at operating your thing (laughs) is wrong. I think, I think that might be part of it, but I think that there's, I think there's another aspect of that. And that is, that the two the up down buttons that you would think should be for volume because of where they're placed towards the the central part of the spoke uh, you know if your hands are on the steering wheel um, it can actually be it's actually quite a bit of a reach with your thumb to hit those yeah and so they're they're actually less convenient to use you know so you've got this area on the outer part of the spoke that's empty there's nothing there and then those buttons towards the inner part of the spoke and you've got to reach over to hit those and whereas the two volume buttons even though they're intuitively in the wrong position they're actually easier to use mm-hmm. but wait a second this is a gm car why don't they just take the steering wheel from the trucks that has the stuff on the back side of the spokes <laughs> because it's a cadillac <laughs> you don't want to have that you, you know you want to you want to actually be able to see the buttons Use nicer plastic, but stick, like, <laughs> I 
I love that feature. I agree, like, Dan. No, I, 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 I know exactly what you mean. I totally agree with but, you. It's very intuitive. The, the, pro the problem with that is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually probably really intuitive if you drive that vehicle all the time. When you jump in and out of different cars all the time, though, every time I get into a GM vehicle that has those buttons on the back of the spoke, I always hit the wrong ones. I can never oh, yeah. remember if it's left or right, right. for volume and, and for forward and back. Wow. Right. Well, I think they're, I think they're opposite of FCA vehicles. Yeah. By coincidence, <laughs> well, I, I've written my, the car I'm going to be talking about and I have some of the same ergonomic issues. So there'll be a theme for this show. Awesome. Unintentionally. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> and, and the cranky there, episode? There, there, there's actually, I think there, there's actually another explanation probably for why they didn't use those on the, uh, uh, on the Cadillac. And that's um, because you can, you know, with paddle shifters, uh, oh yeah, they get in the way. Yeah, really, you have the buttons on the back there with the paddle shifters. So, yeah. you know, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But overall, you know, I mean, that's that's a relatively minor annoyance. You know, the rest of the I car mean, I really liked. Yeah, and the solution is like a manual transmission, and then you can get the buttons on the steering that, wheel. There you go, and everything is fine. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, we've <laughs> solved that issue. Um, but the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the one I drove was the Premium Lux, and uh, you know as you know, as Cadillac has done over the last couple of years, you know, they've, they've gone to this sort of Y configuration for their trims on all their vehicles. So you've got the, the base models um, and then you have either sport or premium Lux, uh, which are both priced relatively the same, you know, the sport, you know, obviously is geared a little bit more towards a sporty feel and, you know, has kind of the blacked out grill and things like that. Premium Lux is a little more, traditional luxury uh, look and feel to it. Um, the one I had was the 550T, um, which in Cadillac's new parlance, the, the numbering now refers to the torque output of the powertrain in Newton meters. So it's because roughly 550 Newton that's meters. That's intuitive. I can't wait. The only part you have to know is, you know, you can get the 400T or the 550T and the 5, 550 is more than 400. Yeah. The 400 is I mean, more than 400. Yeah. To be fair, Buick used to put the torque numbers on their air cleaners back in the day. But like Newton meters, I can't wait for this to get into the dealership and have, you know, people talking about nanometers <laughs> yeah. instead of Newton meters. <laughs> like, great. No, that's, but, it's a completely different thing, but whatever. I mean, yeah. did you so, feel like you were driving a Cadillac when you drove it, though? I mean, what what does a Cadillac feel like anymore? Well, that's part of the tragedy, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, certainly, you know, compared to the Cadillacs when I was growing up, no, it doesn't feel anything like that. That's compared, probably good. Com yeah. yeah, no, it's great. I, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, when I, when I was in high school, um, you know, playing water polo, one of my uh, teammates was driving an old, uh, like a 71 or 72 uh, sedan DeVille with a 500 cubic inch V8 that made a bike. That is a fine automobile. <laughs> it, it was brown. You know, this thing was yeah. massive. Awesome. You know, it was we, brown before. We brown all piled into though. this thing to go to games. Yeah. You know, it was... Um, you know, but, you know, when you go over a bump or, you know, railroad tracks or something, it will wallow, you know, <laughs> bouncing up and down for about five minutes before it finally it settles. You that, giving you water it polo you practice. aquatic experience, right. I was going to say water polo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to trade water in it. Yeah. Uh, it was like being in a waterbed, you know. Um, but, uh, 
uh, no, I mean, it, it feels like a, like a modern Cadillac, which, you know, is, is a good thing. You know, it feels even, as, even as the premium looks, you know, it feels nice and buttoned down and well controlled, you know, good body control, good ride quality, you know, really, really nice balance of ride and handling. Uh, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a really, really nice premium car. And, you know, the 550T means that you've got the twin turbo V6, the three liter twin turbo V6 um, with, um, 335 horsepower uh and uh you know plenty of power you know really really good you know f- felt really good to drive um is that the, the only i think that's the only ct5 uh besides the v series so that's like the only regular ct5 you can get with that engine uh I don't think, you can't get it in the sport right i think yeah you can get it i think you can get it in the sport oh. i believe you can get the v6 in the sport um but the um the the 10-speed automatic transmission, you know, in all the applications where GM has used this transmission, this is the one that they developed with with Ford. I think GM across the board has done a better job calibrating this transmission than Ford has. Um, you know, it it you know it's very smooth and seamless. Um, you know, you don't it doesn't feel like it's constantly shifting around trying to figure out what gear it should be in. They they've done a better job on their controls than Ford did. Uh, it's uh, you know, I drove it out to uh, to Grand Rapids and back uh, to go visit with May Mobility out there. You know, it's about a hundred miles each way. Uh, you know, the seats are really comfortable, supportive. Uh, this one that I had, you know, had the full gamut of driver assist features. So it had uh, had the um, uh, adaptive cruise control, lane keeping assist. G- GM's lane keeping assist, you know does not even make any pretense to towards trying to do lane centering. That is strictly the province of super cruise. Uh, super cruise is, is coming available. to the CT five, oh, yes. but not until uh, like early next year. Um, it was supposed to have launched by now, but because of the, the pandemic um, they had some supplier issues. So they had to push back the launch on the CT five and CT four until early in the year, the Escalade will be getting it uh, right after launch. So it'll have super cruise this fall. Uh, so I haven't had a chance to try the second generation super cruise yet, but the, you know, the adaptive cruise control worked great. Um, there's a nice big uh, heads up display in this one. You know, so you've got all your information right in front of you. Uh, it also had the, the digital camera mirror system, which, um, you know, this is an, an upgraded version from the original. It's got higher resolution and higher frame rate. Uh, than the original version did when they launched it a couple of years ago in CT6 and, and Bolt. Um, so it, it looks more, a little more natural. Um, and I, I, <laughs> after driving that, you know, on, on, on the CT5 and then this week on the Silverado that I'm driving, I really wish I'd had that feature in the Corvette the week before, because mm. that would have been, that would have been a great feature to have in the vet uh, to actually have some rear visibility. But um, you know, it's, it's a really good car. And, you know, the starting price for the CT5 is about $35,000 or $36,000. The one I had uh, was priced out the all wheel, with all wheel drive, which mine had, uh, it starts at four, about 41 uh, for the all wheel, for, for the premium Lux, sorry, rather than all wheel drive. Fully uh, optioned out, uh, delivered, this one was 59,365. Uh, which, you know, is not cheap, but, you know, I think that it's, you know, it's very competitive with something like a BMW or Audi, uh, you know, like um, a three series or certainly compared to a five series, a five series with this kind of level of equipment would be significantly more, you know, three series, probably pretty comparable. Uh, and, 
<clears throat> and the, uh, you know, an Audi, uh, you know, a, a, this would probably be, I guess, uh, like a little, maybe a little smaller than an A6, um, you know, between an A6 and an A5, you know, uh, they would certainly be more expensive than this. Um, so, you know, I, th I think it's, you know, it's definitely something that people should be considering if they're looking for a premium sedan. How does it go down the road though? Does it, you know, cause the last Cadillac I had was the XT4 and I quite liked the way it drove, you know, it was mm -hmm. really disciplined and it, it rode and handled well. It was, you know, a little, a little loud. The four cylinder wasn't great, but this, you know, in this configuration, you've got the V6. Uh, so that's probably a lot more refined feeling and I'm assuming it, it still has the same kind of attention to the, the ride and handling balance. Cadillac yeah. seems to be doing pretty well that way. Yeah, the the, the driving dynamics were great. Uh, the V6 is definitely way more refined than the four cylinder. I would definitely uh, recommend you know if you're if you're going to get a CT5, you know if you can swing it for the for the V6, definitely go for that over the base four cylinder because uh, the four is the same one that's in the XT4, although it's turned ninety degrees. Um, and that's a good engine. It's just yeah, like you hear it's, it. It's just not as refined <laughs> as it should be for you know yeah. for this this price point and this level of car. Um, there, I do have to call out one issue with this and I reached out to, to Cadillac and haven't heard back, you know, about whether the car I was driving was a pre-production model or not, or a regular production version. Cause there, there was one quality issue, which is the driver's side rear door was not particularly well aligned. And given how much we've, you know, called out, you know, um, Tesla on their, you know, panel gaps and things like that, you know, it would, you know, I have to call out GM on this one. Uh, you know, I'll, we'll include a picture of this in the, in the show notes. Um, but the, the, the rear door on the driver's side was, you could see, you know, when you look in the driver's side, you know, on the outside mirror on the driver's side, you know, you could see where it steps up a little bit, the, the chrome trim along the, around the windows you could see that it wasn't lined up correctly. And I think that that was also leading to a little bit of excess wind noise that I was noticing on that side of the car when driving at highway speeds. Was there any evidence of uh, accent or anything? Like nothing, that? You know, nothing, nothing noticeable. I mean, there was no scuffs or anything, you know, I think it was just not, you know, not built right. How many miles were on why, it? Uh, about 2000 miles. Oh, yeah, so, you yeah. Know, not, not a lot. Right. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was a fairly new car. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it happens. Yep. <laughs> sometimes they sometimes they build bad ones. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know, if I was you know if I was going to the dealer and taking delivery of the car, you know, and I saw that, I you know I I would not take delivery of the car until they fixed it. Well, since since yeah. one of our listeners, Blake, called us out as favoring GM and Ford, I think that that kind of stuff that can't happen anymore. How do yeah. what we favor GM and Ford? That's, I know. That's I mean, nonsense. I know. Crap. But yeah. hi, Blake. Um, uh, but <laughs> I no. I we'll mean, come back as, to Blake you, later on. No, yes, I know. But as you say, you know, we <laughs> we call out Tesla a lot on this kind of stuff. But this is sort of that. We that's do. that seventies, eighties GM. That's not okay. You know. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, no, hopefully I, it absolutely. is pre-production though. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I mean, you know, we've seen flaws like this in, in other cars too. And, For sure. You know, I, we try to call it out when when we notice it. Yeah. No, I had um, another menu. I had a, a Nissan that that had a really pretty egregious, like it was incredibly noticeable. Um, and yeah. I think they pulled it from the fleet as well. They should. That's good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Interior-wise, you said that it, it felt and looked better. Did you have a color in there, or did they do the normal black? No, no. This one had the uh, the Sedona um, oh. interior uh, with okay. Sedona leather with uh, jet black accents. Because so. they did a nice job naming colors. Like they have like maple sugar. That just makes me want to <laughs> pick it. You know, like, a, and it does. I think that that's um, that's an area. The interior design is really nice on it. Uh, I, I I do like the you know the ergonomics maybe aren't aren't. Uh, Maybe there's a little too much touchscreen, but it looks like there's there's several buttons down below. So. Oh well, I mean, you know, compared to a lot of stuff out there, I mean, this, you know, it's a good size touchscreen. It's a 10 inch display, but it, yeah. you know, this is nothing. You know, it, it at least does have physical controls for the climate controls, uh, things like that. That's that's all buttons, um, you know, and it's basically just the the nav and the uh, the audio that's in the uh, in the touchscreen. Everything else has physical controls. And so that's not terrible. And and you can use that, that you know that central control knob to do a lot of the stuff that's in the touchscreen anyway. So. All right. So uh, and, I mean, and there's also a huge back seat, which is you know always a, a good thing. And it's just a, it's a. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the XT6 or XT5 that we had before. So the back seat is a nice. I mean, yeah, it's very, very roomy in the back. Um, and oh, one, one other thing, um, just glancing at, at my uh, photos. Um, one thing that I do that I really do appreciate is, uh, you know, it had the front seats have adjustable thigh bolsters. Uh, so depending on, you know, the proportion of your, your hip to knee length, you know, uh, in some cases, like, you know, I have fairly long thighs and I like to have a little bit, a little bit longer, distance, you know, a little more support under my thighs when I'm driving. And so being able to stretch that out, you know, is, is nice, you know, and, but still have it be adjustable so that, you know, somebody with Rebecca's proportions, you know, would also fit well. <laughs> no, that's actually a, a really good point though, because as you mentioned before, you drove a hundred miles each way that mm -hmm. is wearing. If you're, if you are not comfortable, if that seat isn't giving you the type of support that you need, that's where a car gets really tiring to be in. You know, it's yeah, and I felt completely refreshed after you know four and a half hours in the car. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Did it did it have ventilated seats? It did have uh, heated and ventilated okay. seats. Obviously, the the heating I didn't use right. on you know on a ninety plus degree day, uh, but I did use the ventilated seats, and those are those are always uh, nice to have as yes. well. Yes. Well, the the ventilated seats kind of, I've only had them be useful or effective in in a few cars. Oh they, they, no. They're more. No, I love them. They work better for you, especially okay. after I, I, like if I'm after I'm coming back from from working out like at Soul Cycle. Oh yeah, that's happiness. <laughs> you know, and, you know, on a, on a on a hot sunny day, you know, when you get back into first get back into the car, you know, before the air conditioning really cranks up and and starts blowing out cold air, uh, you know, having those ventilated seats, you know, get a little bit of of cooling going, you know, right away on your backside, you know, especially if you've been walking around outside, is def definitely feels really good. Yeah, and on those black interiors, especially as you say, like in that sun. Putting that yeah. on, it does. It, it makes a big difference. I mean, I think more and more, we're seeing them in more and more cars of all different price points, you know? Yeah. But the yeah. Hyundai Sonata Hybrid had them, which I thought was fantastic. All right. I mean, that's, it, it, sounds, it sounds like uh, Cadillac has finally hit its stride just in time for them to be making the complete wrong car <laughs> in the market. Um, I mean, uh, as long they as they can carry this through to the stuff that they're, you know, that they're doing going forward, you know, 
I think in the next year or two, we'll see a, an update to the, uh, to the XD5. Um, you know, certainly the Escalade coming up, uh, it's actually on sale now. They're, they're doing, they've already started delivering those, uh, you know, and getting into the cars like the Lyric, you know, then it's, I think they're, they'll be in good shape. Yeah, and I think All also right. we have to think well, about globally. You know, they, mm -hmm. they sell Cadillacs in a lot of other places as well. Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. You know, cars like the, the CT5, you know, are still more popular in China than they are here. Right. Yeah, but I thought like the, even this CT5 with a longer wheelbase, but shorter overall, like, isn't this kind of small for that market? Don't they prefer like larger, longer sedans? Not maybe larger, um, longer? Not, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I mean, they, they also like, you know, the compact to midsize sedans, you know, and this is why, for example, you know, in, in China, you'll find, you know, long wheelbase versions of the BMW 3 Series and 5 Series, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because they, you know, they still like to have something that is maybe a little bit narrower, you know, not quite as, as enormous as a 7 Series or an S-Class, uh, right. but, you know, they, they, but they want that extra rear room. So you find those extended wheelbase versions. And I think the proportions of this car will probably be a better fit. You know, I mean, they, they used to offer, you know, a CT, a long wheelbase CTS purely for the Chinese market. So I think that this car will actually be a better fit in China than the CTS was. And remember that just, the, um, the Genesis G70 that I had last week that actually had the buttons on the passenger side that the driver could adjust to move up the seat for the person sitting diagonally, you know, behind the passenger mm -hmm. in the back row. I mean, that was clearly designed for a limo type driver to be able to adjust that seat. Cause they were like, yeah, just give them that maximum room. Yeah. It was just right on the side there. I mean, it was, it was actually, it actually worked out really well because somebody was getting into the back of my car that was a lot taller. And I was like, here, let me help you out. And I was able to move <laughs> that seat up, which was kind of cool, you know, but it reminded yeah. me very much that, you know, especially obviously in Korean and, and other Asian markets that that's that size vehicle it, what we would consider a you know a three series sports sedan is often used uh, you know to ferry dignitaries around and such so I think it it, it makes well, sense. I mean, anytime I'm driving, I'm ferrying a dignitary around. <laughs> anytime. <So. laughs> uh, I'm just it, it's amusing to me in a sense that they 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 feel that they need to they can't just make one car with a long wheelbase they have to make a short one for us and then a long one for everyone else. Um, I, I don't know, like, I wouldn't mind a longer wheelbase car either. So, well, I, I now know. you have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so speaking of, uh, China, um, you had the Chinese Swedish Volvo XC90. <laughs> I did. I did. And, you know, I, this was probably one of my favorites. I mean, I did love that little XC60, um, or the XC30 rather, but, you know, I've had kind of. I haven't had a steady positive experience with all the Volvo bubbles that I've had. And so this was a really, I, I really enjoyed the XC90. I, I will be the first one to admit that I'm very partial to the design of it. I think it's just, it's just really handsome. It's really masculine. I like the squareness of it. It looks like an SUV. You know, I, my, my brother is car shopping and um, and he's a big, he's a big, tall guy. And 
you know, we kind of, we talked about like the Ford escape and I'm like, it's too girly for him. It, he'll look like he's driving his wife's car. Like not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, like you want that kind of, <laughs> you want something that's, that's muscular, handsome. I don't know. I just, that's what I think of when I think of the XC90. And so from the exterior standpoint, it just, it's always been really appealing to me. I like that tall stance that it has, you know, very square, grill and i think they've done just a really nice job on the evolution the design evolution and um, of of this particular product especially so sam i wanted to ask you though as an engineer because this was really surprising to me and i and i just verified it again this thing had a 2.0 liter four cylinder now it gets 316 horsepower it's supercharged and turbocharged, but with an eight-speed automatic, I never felt like that thing was underpowered, and I can't believe it only had a 2.0-liter four-cylinder. What is the supercharge and turbocharge doing for me that I didn't feel like this thing was straining? Yeah, so um, the the modern generation of Volvos, ever since you know they revamped the entire lineup under went after getting acquired by Geely, are all powered by this two-liter four-cylinder engine by variants of this engine so there's overseas there's base naturally aspirated versions okay uh, they also still have some some diesels as well but but um those have never been offered here but there's naturally aspirated versions overseas there's a version that has just a turbo which is the t5 okay uh, t6 has the the turbo and the supercharger and that's what i had i had the t6 right okay and then the t8 is that same engine and then with an electric rear axle, electric motor on the rear axle for the plug-in hybrid. Okay. So the, the supercharging, um, the, the advantage to supercharging because it's mechanically driven, you know, turbos work by, you know, the exhaust gases. When you step on it, the exhaust gas spins up the turbine, which is on a shaft of the compressor, which then blows air and forces air into the engine and makes more power. Um, there's inherently some lag with a turbocharger right, the turbo lag um, because because you, you've got that delay between when you build up the exhaust gas pressure spins up the turbine and then forces the air from the compressor side in so a mechanical supercharger is belt driven off the engine and it's immediate so as soon as as soon as the engine starts to rev up it's building boost pressure immediately there's no lag the downside of that is that there's more um, more friction, more parasitic loss. So the faster a supercharger spins, you know, it'll keep forcing more air into the engine, but it's also consuming power. And so it's less efficient. Um, so the com using the combination of the supercharger, you can use the supercharger initially to get that initial burst of boost into the engine for better responsiveness. And then as the turbo pressure builds up then you can declutch there's a clutch on the supercharger you can decouple the supercharger so you're reducing that friction and you're just using the turbo and then that way you can you can size the turbo for more for the high end so you get more more top end boost and and higher uh higher peak uh power and torque uh, but, you know, again, when you size, when you go to a larger turbo like that, that increases the lag. So you can use a smaller turbo for less lag, but, you know, then you limit your top end power. So this, this gives you a broader spread of power and better responsiveness overall. Okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, but it was, there are some times where it, 
it you can feel the lumps and bumps a little bit they've done a really yeah. good job at smoothing it out but there's a there's sometimes you can catch that engine in the wrong spot you can and i definitely <laughs> had that sometimes i did i did play around with the different modes as well uh and i dynamic mode was definitely you know the most fun but it was interesting i i was running a little bit low on gas and i i always try and leave them with at least a quarter of a tank because i'm not an asshole and so <laughs> <laughs> at least enough gas to get back to the back to the garage right? and i actually yeah. I, I i when the guy called to to let me know he was on his way i told him i said i can run and get gas because it was about 60 miles left but um i think in eco and i actually had on the highway i drove 20 miles on the highway and i still had that 60 miles when i left my house which was really pretty impressive i thought there was every once in a while i would say you know when i was like trying to get onto 95 uh, and merging onto the highway that i would feel like it was maybe a a scooch underpowered um but yeah overall it really was very and that very, is a big heavy vehicle well that's even the thing is 300 horsepower it was you know i really was i was very very surprised when i discovered that would it was only four cylinder because it certainly behaved like a six cylinder i and i apologize i meant to um grab my fuel economy uh it's it's rated at at 18 uh, city 26 highway and 21 overall. And I would say I was pretty close to that, but you know, generally it was a really, really good experience. I had a, I had a couple of funny things and um, related to what we were talking about earlier, the ergonomically. So the, the, it doesn't have a traditional stop start button. It has a knob and it very, very reminiscent of the Saab uh, ignition, your know, key ignition mm -hmm. from all those years well, ago. They had, the, they had the key down. On right. The, on you the don't remember. Console, um, column, yeah. But this yeah. has the, it has the start knob in the center console, which I never got used to. And it was funny because my Me brother either. Larry was visiting <laughs> from California. We were doing a lot of house stuff. And so he and I were in the car a lot together and he would always laugh. He's like, you're, you like every single time I would get in and I'd end up tapping, you know, the, the area behind the steering wheel where the button is supposed to be. <laughs> and then I would have to move my arm back. I'm like, Oh, that's right. That's where it is. And then the the way that you activate the different dynamic modes, it's a, like a little barrel button. I don't remember what I called it. Um, it's like a little roller, oh, yeah. Yeah, a roller. Yeah. but again, that's in the center console. And I found myself distracted as I looked at the screen to, to move into on the fly, move into the different modes. And then I wasn't always sure that I was actually in that mode. Like I, like I, it was something that I, I found it distracting to, to change on the fly, which is a little surprising for a Volvo because they're so, you know, conscious of safety. The other thing uh, that there was from an, from an ergonomic standpoint, because Volvo wants to keep you safe, they expect you to put your phone away. The reality is nobody does that anymore. And so there wasn't a good place to put my phone. So the cup holders had to serve as a phone, which can be distracting you know, as opposed to having it like in those nice little wireless charging pads that some people have put in there. And then um, the, I've had this on other Volvos also. The, the, the voice control, like the, the, the voice that responds, 
is so robotic and not natural sounding that it's so jarring because you're in this beautiful, you know, very calming, very Swedish environment with soft Napa leather, you know, beautiful. This one had this metal mesh aluminum cool stuff and it's all, and then this like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 comes <laughs> it's like, oh yes, you're fake. That's right. <laughs> it's just, it's just really jarring. It was kind of funny <laughs> uh, to, to have that experience. And I, and I know I've had it in other Volvos as well. So uh, my request to them would be to upgrade that voice because it is just, it just interrupts the whole experience. <laughs> well, I, I would, I'll be curious to see what the experience is like, you know, when they get some of the Polestar 2s in the fleet, you know, and then obviously the next generation of Volvos, starting with the next XC90, which probably I think by the end of next year should be out. Um, you know, they're, they're going to they've completely re, uh, replaced the infotainment system and the voice assist. It's all based on Android automotive. Oh, interesting. So it's got, so it has Google Assistant built into it. <clears throat> so it should have the Google Assistant voices. Okay. So you actually be able to select different voices and you can do all the stuff that you do with Google Assistant on an Android phone, all embedded in the car. Right. Oh, well, that's interesting. So I did, my Android Auto worked quite well, but I could never expand the screen. You know, that has that huge nine mm-hmm. inch screen. But when I would activate Waze, it would only stay in the lower. It only uses the lower half. Right. Yeah. And you can't, you can't change that. Wait, wait, no. The lower half. Wouldn't you think that the <laughs> upper half would be better for ways? Right. Cause it's closer to like, you're not looking down at the. We, I think oh, we, boy. I think we've had this discussion about census, the census interface once or twice before. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm for a company with that safety sort of mantle. It just still astounds me. Yes. Well, um, yeah. Yeah, but overall, I yeah, mean, I really, I you know, I, as I said, I I very much enjoyed it. I think it's a great family car. There's plenty of room. This one was, was a seven seater. It comes in six or seven seats, uh, and those seats, you know, were easy to put down, easy to put back up. A lot of flexibility internally. The cabin is a really nice, you know, plenty of room. Again, my this is my other brother, uh, Larry, who is also very tall and you know just takes up a lot of room. He's a big guy and super comfortable you know just plenty of room in it for, for he's he's six three uh, and so you know really long legs and just was was he he himself commented a couple times on how comfortable it was so the one that i had on um, this is the t6 which only comes in all-wheel drive and it had was it was the r design also so it had uh, it had some of the appearance packages and then it also has 21 inch wheels on it so this one started at 57,295 that includes the 995 for destination and the one that I had was 75,235 so it definitely had a lot of accoutrements on it uh, and and you know all the kind of bells and whistles uh, I'm curious you know that was it last week or the week before I think that you had the XT6 um yeah, that was and, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, was what was? Do you remember what the price was on the XT6? Um, I can look it up easily. I think it was. Well, uh, I'm curious. You know, which which would you rather have? Because I know you can you can price an XT6 you know into the same kind of price range. You know, which which do you prefer, the XT6 or the Volvo? You know, it's a. <sighs> 
It's a good question. Um, I think, you know, cause they're both really, they're, they're both quality products really. Um, I would probably say I'm going to go with the XT6 because I think except for the volume control, ergonomically it was a little friendlier for me. It was a little bit easier uh, for me to get comfortable with it. Now, again, as we often talk about, you know, we're in a different vehicle every week, but I drove both of them. um, I drove both vehicles quite a bit and I felt like, I felt like I got I got used to the the XT6 faster. So yeah, the Cadillac's I, definitely more um, traditional in its control layout. Right. So the the Cadillac that I had, oh, it was sixty three. But then there's the top of the line, which goes for more like seventy three. Yeah, and you, and like that Cadillac the had the V6 engine in it, which was yeah. really really nice. <laughs> Yeah, see, this is, and that's interesting. You know, I, I never really. I, so, first of all, I think the XT6 rides and handles better than the XC90. The XC90 is lovely to look at. It's a nice place to sit in, but its, it's ride st- still seems a little stiff to me, especially depending on the wheels you get on it. Some of the, the larger wheels are, are making really? it worse. But yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the way that thing okay. goes down the road. Uh, I just thought it was like, you know, you're stiff and not not uh, not supple. Over it didn't feel luxurious in that sense. It, it just, it, it, I'm not sure yeah. what's going on. I, with the suspension tuning. And it's been a the little other long. thing I really liked on the Cadillac was the rearview. The um, I love the rearview mirror where they you can switch it to the camera the camera mirror, mirror right? Yeah. Um, and then also the backup camera has a bunch of different modes that were really, really useful at times. So I liked that aspect of the Cadillac as well. Um, sorry, I can't see anything tonight. Um. <laughs> when are they, when are they updating the XC90? Like, is that, it's old now. Um, like it's coming yeah, really I, soon, I think right? we'll probably see the new XC90, probably the second half of next year. I think it goes into production in early 22. They, they've, they've said yeah. they've said that it's launching in 2022 so we'll probably see it before the end of next year yeah you know i have to uh, to just to confirm i'm going to go with the xt6 on this one i love the wife because the, that, okay. that's the one that i had after the storm after the tropical storm right. and so i used the wi-fi a lot you know i was getting my sister from the airport and um, which is funny because I, bro- I drove my brother to a different airport um, in in the the XC90. But yeah, I think you know, and it's funny, Dan. I didn't have that same experience from a from a ride standpoint. I thought that the XC90 was was really nice, but mm-hmm. I, I and as I said, I I was amazed that it was only a four cylinder because it does a, a really really good job. But I do think that the XT6 was a little bit, they were both very refined, but the XT6 just had that little bit more of a muscle. That's very appealing. Yeah, I, I you know, we're not doing anything for our uh, comment that we give yeah. a lot of <laughs> to GM But yeah, I think a part of the, part of the thing is that the XT6 is just, it's newer. So it has some, some updated features. And then there's the contrast between how one company does it versus you know, another. exactly. Yeah. Um, you're not going to go wrong with either one. You're never so, going to go wrong buying, yeah. buying the Volvo, you know, I, 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 but I think just having had them, 
fairly close, you know, back to not quite back to back, but fairly close. Uh, well, and, and one thing that the, <clears throat> that the Volvo offers that Cadillac doesn't, um, you know, in a premium, you know, SUV of this size, and they're, they're pretty similar in size, um, is the Volvo, you can get a plug-in hybrid option, which is not available in the Cadillac. The Cadillac, you only have that, that one powertrain option. Yeah, no, absolutely. So if, if you, you know, if you want something that's electrified, um, you know, and has some all-electric driving capability, the Volvo is your only option there. Right, and you are going to get, well, it's interesting. because At least among those two. The, the Cadillac is the fuel economy is not quite as good. So it's 17 uh, city, 24 highway, 20 combined. And the Volvo is, as I said earlier, 18, 26, 21. So you're going to get better fuel economy on the highway if that's the bulk of your driving. But the reality is the people that are buying these cars, the bulk of their driving is not on the highway because they're, they're typically family cars. So they're doing a lot of in-town driving and you know there's only one mile per ga- one mile per gallon difference with a, a four cylinder versus a, a V6. So you know again they I think that both companies done a really good job with the power plants that they've put in these. Um, but yeah, and the Cadillac has a it's a 3.6 liter, uh, 310 horsepower. I mean it's again it's that, that what Volvo has done with that engine I think is really really fascinating. Yep. You guys were luxuri- luxuriating. <laughs> well, I uh, I spent the week with a, a Subaru WRX Edition Dot White. I'm not <laughs> not exactly. Have to, have to talk to uh, to Dominic or Jessica and figure out uh, exactly how to say it. Series Dot White. I'm sorry, Series Dot White. So it's it's a limited production run. They're making 500 each of the WRX and the WRX STI of these, and it's really sharp looking. You know, so it has. Um, a particular shade of, of white on the exterior called ceramic white. It's the only model that's going to get it. It's got beautiful matte bronze wheels. So it looks really good. Uh, it, you can see the, the red Brembo um, calipers through it on the, the WRX. Did you feel like a high school stud in it? Cause it sounds like <laughs> that is never something <laughs> that I will be able to emotionally conjure up. <laughs> um, but I, I did feel like a punk ass in it. Uh, <laughs> nice. You know, it's, it's started up and you just, you know, has a throaty exhaust and it's a manual. So, uh, you know, everybody knows how, how good your technique is with it. Um, you know, it's, it's a WRX. It's a, uh, a little bit brash. Um, this, you know, this particular one is outfitted nicely. It had uh, nice Recaro seats um, that were really comfortable and the interior is sort of, it's dressed up. Uh, I think this is meant to sort of be at the top of the range, sort of giving it some new stuff to, to the WRX while they, they wait to get the next one out onto, onto the market. Um, it's almost like a last hurrah. Um, it has a, a you know, Bilstein uh, dampers in the chassis. So it, it rode pretty well. It handles, you know, the WRX is a good handling car, uh, but with the, the chassis tuning, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a little stiff, but it's not, it's not terrible. It doesn't, doesn't beat the hell out of you. Um, so it's a fun car, you know, it has just the 268 horsepower turbo, uh, with the six speed manual. It's, it's a good time. The problem is I couldn't tell where the hell the clutch take up was. <laughs> so I couldn't drive it that smoothly. It was, I like, I spent considerable time 
trying to figure out how to drive it smoothly. The only time I could get it to sort of be smooth was just by beating the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> was it really early or really late? It was it was vague. There was no... Ah, oh, no, that's annoying. Yeah, no real, like, indication of, like, oh, here it is. So, you, you know, you drive like a beginner. You, you're trying to be smooth with the shifts and... and uh, it, you know, either you've gone in too low or you rev up too much before the, the clutch is fully um, disengaged. So it's it was a little weird. Um, and the engine is really tuned to, to to be sort of pushy. You know, like you get a lot of torque out of it uh, pretty quickly. So it, it spools up quick, which is fine. But uh, sometimes you get a little bit more than you want. And so mm. some of that plays into it, too. Like uh, you just kind of want to drive easy and it's it's ready to go all the time. Right. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's part of the charm to a certain degree. Uh, and it's, you know, the, the flip side of that too is like, sometimes I almost felt like, all right, 268 horsepower, but up a, up an on-ramp onto, you know, onto 95 um, <laughs> <laughs> outside of Boston. You know, it, it uh, there, was, there was sometimes we'd be like, oh, that's it. You know, like I got to shift so I can get back down into the Was boost. it a six speed? Uh, yeah, six speed. Okay. Um so you know it's good. It's good for heel toe. You could really you could you could have a good time in this car. It's an excellent trainer in terms of performance car trainers. Um, just you know, just like uh, the the 86s as well. Um, you know, this has a little bit more power than that car. Uh, it's a little loud on the highway because it's, it's a WRX. Subaru. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> the infotainment was it, it hasn't been updated as as you know it doesn't have the legacy system. It has like the one step before that. It's not terrible but it's still all touchscreen so it, it takes a little bit uh to sort of find your way around it um i didn't didn't absolutely hate it but uh I'm not the biggest fan um, that's a ringing endorsement well, i didn't you know, absolutely hate it <laughs> everybody's going to these these new touchscreen systems for a lot of reasons and and the the system in the the latest Subarus, like the legacy and the outback it's all touchscreen and the interface is ugly the, the stuff times out you can't can't you know it, it's we we have the problem too because we're jumping in and out of cars so much that like we're really sort of uh fine-tuned to is this easy to use quickly um, absolutely if you're an owner it's a little different because you're going to spend time with it and you'll figure it out eventually but yeah I, I but think it's, it's still frustrating though yeah. i still feel like they need to that intuitiveness has got to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important because in a in a high pressure situation, in a high stress situation, you want it to be intuitive because all of like your your sort of mental instruction manual goes out the window and you're like on your lizard brain. <laughs> just, like the thing just has to be there for it. And and, well, and also it's your you're sort of that that first impression with your brand new car. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like when you get a brand new computer or a phone like you want it to be that you you want it to be a positive experience you don't want to be digging around for stuff and trying to figure out and getting frustrated yeah i mean yeah, if you're like me and technology loves you it won't be a problem <laughs> right, exactly <laughs> <laughs> um i wish the world was as seamless for me as it is for you <laughs> um, but you know the, the wrx is a it's a it's a good car. It's a car with a lot of personality and we need more cars like this. So, um, you know, it, it has a couple of cohorts. Uh, one of them is the GTI and, and the GTI has a little edge in the refinement side of things, you know, where it, it is quieter on the highway. It's a little, little softer. Um, 
and it feels a little bit more premium. But the WRX is a damn good time. And uh, this one looks really good. And it's not that expensive. You know, this series white is, uh, I think it starts at like $33,995. And then you, they, they charge you 900 bucks for a destination. <laughs> so it's it's really, it's a $35,000 hey, that's, that's, that's cheap by, you know, by modern standards. Yeah. Um, it know, sounds like it terrible. was a good way to extend it and keep it fresh for another year or so yeah yeah well it definitely has the chops you know like it's got right. got four piston brembos it's got bill stein suspension like all the upgrades that you would make if you were you know wanted wanted to upgrade a, a wrx have been done and they've been done at the factory level so it's it's tuned really well and it's it's really fun to drive on a back road uh it's again the, i think the loudness on the highway gets to me um mm. but it, it doesn't really feel it's not tiring you know it's it's it's, it's a good compromise all around and it's the type of car that is going to be a little loud anyway but um it's not it's not like exhaust loud it's like road noise loud so that oh. that's sort of like the one thing that uh, i wish it had better sound insulation but uh, everything's a trade-off yeah right? i think it's tiring after a while frankly yeah yeah like i wouldn't want to drive it down to greenwich for pizza my ears would be yeah ringing. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then the, or otherwise yeah the uh <laughs> the, the sti version of it gets even more powerful. So that has the uh, 310 horsepower, uh, 2.5 liter, and you, you get a little bit more performance stuff. You get the the center differential, the the what is it, the DCCD, the driver control center differential, and um, torque vectoring all-wheel drive. Uh, they put um, this one had I forget the tires that were on it, um, but the the STI gets um, Michelin uh, Pilot cops, Pilot Sport cops. Um, so that one actually seems like it would be even a little bit more serious and it would probably feel more serious, um, and, and maybe too much for, for some people. So the, the WRX, uh, is a nice compromise set up this way where it has more performance. It has more, um, sort of, it's, it's tuned a little bit more aggressively, but it's not all in like the STI that is just, the STI could be a lot to take. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since I drove an STI, but the last time, you know, the, the STI has always had more peak power than the WRX, but it yeah. came at the at the cost of, you know, that low-end responsiveness. That, that Which responsive. I, might, so you, I might actually like that. Yeah, I mean, de- I depending, about the lo- depending on what you're looking you know? for, you know, it's it certainly can certainly be a little more exciting, you know, because yeah. you, you get on the accelerator and you sit there and, wait and wait and then boom you know it pushes you yeah. in the back you know with that as that boost comes on yeah i i don't know you know, i doubt it's quite as extreme now as it used to be but you know that was definitely the difference between the wrx i always liked the wrx i felt it was a little little more drivable you know um you know as, as a daily driver than the sti was yeah, I'll, I'll agree there. It's this is and it's tuned that way. Yeah. You know, it has the low end torque versus the making you wait for it. Um, you know, so it, it all it kind of depends about what you want. And the the, the hardware on the, the STI is more serious. You get six piston calipers, and um, you know, it's just it's going to be a little bit more more of a you know weekend track day car, which is cool. Like I'm glad that they offer that too. So, uh, criticisms aside. Thank you for making these cars still. <laughs> like, seriously, I'm, I'm, I was so pleased to have a week in a manual transmission car uh, that's, that's got a little bit of a performance edge to it. Um, Is it a five-seater? It You can get five in it. It's, it's got five uh, seat belts. Yeah. 
<laughs> the people in the back seat should be real familiar with each other. <laughs> At least if they aren't when they start, they will be when you're done. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a good all arounder, and I think it looks fantastic. I love the way it looks. The white with the the bronze uh, colored wheels and and stuff. It's going to be really distinctive. And there's only 500 of them, so this is yeah, that's amazing. A, you know, good limited edition uh, car. So. Um, yeah, the WRX continues to be a pretty decent performance bargain. Um, and, and because if, like, if this is the most special one that you know, you're going to get into a quote unquote regular one for, you know, less money. So I, I still like the WRX every now and then I get a refresh about why. Uh, so yeah, if you live where the roads twist and there's elevation changes, it's a good, good time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. There's a freaking thing. <laughs> It's happening. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna happen in uh, just a, two and a half hours. The embargo lifts uh, from when we're recording it now. So it's September second today. Uh, no, actually, um, the embargo doesn't lift till nine a.m. Oh, son of a bitch! So twelve hours. Yeah. Okay. Either way, in twelve hours, <laughs> we can talk about it officially. And I'm not going to turn the podcast around that fast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there is the long-awaited. I mean. The 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 Jeep Wrangler four by E is yeah it's important and impressive we'll get to it but the long awaited Grand Wagoneer concept which is actually the production car <laughs> is uh, was shown uh, Sam you you got to watch the backgrounder and get the the full dog and pony show uh, and the, this is to the extent there long... was a dog and pony show but yeah yeah the, this this has been a very long drip campaign for this and and i think we're all kind of on the edge of our seats for it so uh, what can you tell us about it? yeah so the <clears throat> jeep is bringing back the wagoneer um they've decided to expand up market uh and compete in a segment where they haven't been before which is full-size uh premium suvs um you know they're going to have wagoneer and grand wagoneer so presumably the the wagoneer is going to be priced more you know, mainstream pricing, although they haven't given us any indication of pricing yet. These, these vehicles go on sale next summer. Uh, so a little less than a year from now, they go, go in production late spring um, in Detroit here at the, the Warren truck plant. Um, Jeep gave us very little in the way of actual technical details on, the, on these things. Um, you know, they officially are describing this as a design study, you know, the Grand Wagoneer concept, but I mean, you know, Let's face it, this close to production, this is essentially what it's going to look like. You know, some details, um, you know, may, may change, you know, in terms of some of the trim. You probably won't have the little teak inserts in the, um, the tie-down loops and the, the roof rails and, you know, underneath the, you know, cradling the, the headlights. Um, but, uh, you know, this is this big three-row SUV is, is what we're going to see next year. What's not clear yet is if there will be two wheelbases like there are with most of the competitors, like the, the Expedition, Navigator, um, you know, the GMC Yukon, the Cadillac Escalade. Um, I would guess there probably will be. Um, but it's a, a big three-row. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite a different design from the Grand Cherokee. It's m more upright, blockier. Um, yeah, I don't know not quite how to describe it. Um, well, one of the things it's that, very square. It's very, very square. Yeah. 
And uh, it's interesting that the, the pillars, you know, the A, B, and C pillars are actually quite prominent um, because what they've done, you know, if you look at the current Grand Cherokee, you know, the B and C pillars are, you know, they're kind of blacked out, you know, and you, so you've got a chrome strip that surrounds, typically surrounds the entire side glass on the Grand Cherokee. And so it almost looked, you know, with tinted windows, it almost looks like one big piece of glass that spans the entire side. Whereas, you know, this one, the, the pillars, you know, I don't think are really any wider, but, you know, they're painted in the same white and it just extends straight up from the body sides right up to the roof rail. Uh, and then you've got a black roof on there. So it's, it, it's quite prominent and it's quite a different look. Um, yeah. So that's actually, I'm, I'm curious because um, Rebecca, you and I tend to put a lot of, uh, a lot of weight on the, the way things are styled and designed. So what's your, what's your first impression of, of this? I mean, I, you know, I, it's a different look. It's different maybe than, than people are expecting. It is a different look. I, frankly, my first thought was that it looks like Lincoln. I mean, huh. it didn't it didn't strike me as looking. It, it certainly doesn't harken in any way, shape, or form back to the Grand Wagoneer of our youth. Or I don't know, I don't know exactly when the last yeah, time we came out. It was uh, built for long enough. I think it was all of our youths. Yeah, I guess. yeah right. <laughs> they, 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 so I think all of us and different decades had a pit and a chance. It, to it was it was built from like sixty three to nine sixty two to nineteen ninety one. Yeah. So this is, you know, it, this is not a, a retro Grand Wagoneer. I, the, this the is one sort of like retro touch I can see is the, the grill, the shape of the grill. But other than that, I think, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Even it's, that it's though, I mean, because look at narrow those, the headlamps yeah. are super narrow and, and in the back, they're super narrow as well. So, you know, I feel like, I mean, it's almost... First, I think it's it's cool in that it is for certainly from the front it looks very jeep like. Less so from the back to me. I love the gigantic rims. I mean, those tires look like they're twenty four. I think yeah, I think they were. I think they're twenty fours on the concept. Are they twenty fours? Yeah. Oh, con yeah, no. concepts always. And and that'll be the upgrade. So there, there's kind of this, um, you know, sort of I. Uh, very the imported from Detroit kind of tagline that you know they did on Dodge. Yep. I get that feeling from from this vehicle, which is kind of fun. The interior looks absolutely beautiful, but you know the 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 back of it sort of really kind of threw me at first because again, it just it it looks much more Lincoln to me, it, and that's that's a compliment. It's it's meant as a positive. It's it looks very refined. It looks luxurious. Um, it does not echo in any way the Wagoneer, the, grand, yeah, the original it, Grand Wagoneer. It's, it's very did they refer off. to that at all, Sam, in the backgrounder? They, they did. I mean, they, were they even trying? Yeah, they, they <laughs> did. You know, they, t they talked about, you know, the old Wagoneers. You know, and I think this is like the pillars, you know, for example, are one area where they kind of referenced it. But really, I mean, if you look back at, you know, the old Wagoneers, there's really not there's not much here that that harkens back to that. Well, because I always love when they're like, but no, it's reflected in some obscure, <laughs> you know, and you're like, uh, yeah, no, it's I, not. I think, but, I think that's but one, okay, but though, one thing right? that Ralph Gilles did highlight, you know, in doing the design walk around, you know, was those, those pillars, you know, and, and contrasted it 
to you know competitors like the the navigator and the the escalade you know which which kind of try to hide those pillars now you know and and also range rover you know same thing they all try to hide right. those pillars and you know they're very prominent on this vehicle i pulled up some old pictures from the 70s i think that the biggest difference it really is the headlamps you know they were all very round or square and these headlamps are sleek and slick and very narrow which is the style of today uh yeah. but there is you know the the grand wagoneer was a very very square upright vehicle and they certainly have recreated that yeah aesthetic. i mean that's really the only part that kind of calls back to the old Wagoneers is that that, that upright yeah. blockiness. Well, the, yeah. the, the grill with the kink in it is sort of goes back to the early ones, the, like the 63s when they were Kaisers. Um, they sort of had that grill with the kink in it. And then when it, by the end, you know, they had redone the, the front end and the, there was a new grill that sort of was pasted over the old grill. Right. Well, and, <laughs> um, and the thing is, you know, the Wagoneer it, never really had, you know, the classic Jeep seven slot grill. Right. Right. No, no you're right, Sam. It didn't. And when it wasn't, you know, again, it didn't start as a Jeep and it's a Brooke Stevens design. So it's, it's got that sort of classical uh, mid-century modern timelessness. There wasn't a whole lot of pillar to begin with on the original. So I, I like that they've actually gone, they've, they've gone pretty prominent with it on this car because you can also keep it looking that surface, you know, with it, it's painted. So it's not black plastic that's going to pick up scratches and stuff. It's going to just, it's going to have that, that look, that high quality surface every time you get in for, you know, many years to come. And it, it looks different. Um, you know, the, the pictures that we can see too, it's interesting the details you can pick out. Like you can, can look under the back of the, uh, the, the rear shot and you can see the IRS hanging down. Um, so I, I think that they've staked out some new ground for Jeep that, and that's great. You know, there's only uh, so many places you can take those Wrangler cues or, um, you know, the, the Grand Cherokee is getting, it's old now. So I'm, well, I mean, it's getting replaced next year look. too. So who yeah. knows what that so, one's going to look like. So yeah, I wonder, I'm, I'm assuming that the fronts will be pretty similar uh, from, from the Grand Wagoneer to the Grand Cherokee. You can expect that, that style to sort of carry through the family to a degree. Um, it's imposing, which I think it's, probably supposed to be because this is <laughs> basically it's a it's a ram 1500 suv right like that's yeah i mean as as, as i said you know according to uh jeep representatives <laughs> this is a design study and so we're not yeah, going yeah. to talk about technical details for the most part uh but sure whatever but we you know we assume that you <laughs> blah, know, since blah, blah. this is being built at the warren truck plant alongside you know the ram classic um that this is going to be a body on frame you know, and a derivative of the the, the modern, the, the new Ram 1500 platform, but with an IRS, um, an independent rear suspension uh, on the back. Um, so the Grand the, Cherokee, though, is a unibody, isn't the it? The Grand Cherokee yes. is a unibody. Okay. Um, and this, you know, this is going to be built in a different plant from that. So, okay. um, you know. The one thing they did say, you know, as far as technical details, and, and they act, they've actually said this for a while, is that there will be plug-in hybrid versions of this. Um, right. And, you know, the, the concept is, you know, is a plug-in hybrid, but they didn't give, again, didn't give any specific details on that. Um, but we will, it will be available with a plug-in hybrid powertrain and, you know, presumably uh, the, um, 
uh, a hemi, a hemi, uh, and and possibly even you know there's been some rumors about a new inline six gas engine uh, to replace the Pentastar, so that might uh, show up in here as well. This would be a See, good this, place to launch that. This would be a good place for the three liter diesel, although their diesel is loud, yeah. so that might not be the right. <laughs> I, the interior is beautiful. Yeah, I was going to say, let's move inside. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so inside, you know, this thing, you know, at least the concept version has lots and lots of screens. Uh, like, I mean, lots of screens, like eight, eight <laughs> screens. Um, there's five in the front. Four. Where's, where's, where? Okay. Oh, so, yes, because they've used the, the passenger side has its own. Yeah. The, are those, are those two individual oh, sorry, screens? Sorry, four, four, sorry, seven screens, four, four screens. Yes. Yeah, so there's two, there's, you've got the, the 12 inch, 12 and a half inch uh, instrument cluster display. Yeah. And then two displays in the center stack at the 10 inch and a 12 inch uh the lower one the 10 inch is for some of the comfort controls like seats and other stuff and the infotainment and nav is in the upper screen um and then there's actually physical climate control buttons in between so you know thank you yeah don't don't have to don't have the problem you have on the ram with its 12 inch portrait display and then there's a separate 10 and a half inch uh display on the passenger side of the dash uh, just for the passenger. And apparently this has uh, one of those privacy filters on there so that from the driver's seat, you can't really see it. So you're avoiding driver distraction because the passenger will be able to watch videos and stuff on that screen. Okay, um, so that's- And also screens. do things like put in nav inputs and then swipe them over to the center screen. Um, oh, that's awesome actually, because that's- yeah. like, That's really cool. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Wow. Um, so this is the first application of a passenger side screen in an SUV the Porsche Taycan already offers this, but this is the first time in an SUV. Uh, and then in the, in the second row, there's three more screens. There's two, uh, two 12 inch, uh, I think there are 10, 10 inch displays uh, for rear seat entertainment on the back of the front seats. And then another 10 inch display on the center console for uh, comfort controls for the, the second row passengers. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it for the, the controls because it's cheaper. Um, it still makes me sad. Yeah. <laughs> I do, It'll be okay. Like, FCA has been pretty pretty on the money with – they'll make mistakes and then they'll pull it back. You know, like the, the RAM system was a little too much, but they're they're figuring it out and they're, they're backing us out to the right mix of physical controls and user customization and stuff. So I, I, have, I have hope that it, it will be pretty easy to use. Um, this the the seat controls being on a screen sort of bugs me. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan because um, you know you got to stab at the screen. And there's latency there, and then there's latency anyway because it's it's you know uh, all networked. So it's not like you're just tweaking a switch on the seat like the old days and getting instant response. So we'll see how that works in practice. And well, hopefully, I wonder if there's redundancy in that they have the seat controls on the side as well. Uh, I that would expect nice. that you'll have, you know, like the, the, the primary seat controls on the side, you know, for yeah. fore aft recline, um, you know, lumbar support. And then, you know, as you get into some of the details, like moving the side bolsters and uh, massage and things like that, those are probably in the touchscreen. And you can probably control, you can probably program all of that. So, you know, with memory settings. So hopefully it's kind of just a set it and forget it. Right. Sort of and that's idea. like, that was my thought was like, you'll, you'll adjust that in the driveway. Yeah. Once. Once or twice. Yeah. yeah. And then it'll be there 
for when you need it again. Um, I do like when they have this kind of setup, though. I do like when they have uh, more and more cars are coming out with automatic heated and cooled seats that sense the temperature outside. And this is something FCA's had for a while. It Which is, is really cool. I yeah, love that. When, it, when it's below 40 degrees, it automatically yeah. turns on the seat. Or there's, you can disable, you can turn that off in the screen, but by default, it turns on the seat heaters when it's below 40 degrees and the steering wheel heater. Right. I love that. Yeah. Oh, steering Very wheel cozy. Like steering wheel heaters. <laughs> um, yeah, Dan, you look like you need some self-care. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's, it's, it's been, uh, man, it's been a weird six months. Um, you know, we've been waiting for this for a long time. And, and every time I drive a Ram 1500, uh, it's usually a, uh, an extended cab version. So it's two thirds of this anyway. And I go, you know, this would make a really good SUV. So uh, I think it's a good basis for the, the Grand Wagoneer. I, I, you know, I want to, I want to see what the Wagoneer versus Grand Wagoneer kind of split is. Cause they're saying, right. That's, this is basically, um going to be uh a couple of models it's going to be the wagoneer portfolio right, right? so, so there's gonna one. it's there's gonna be a, a wagoneer and a grand wagoneer you know which is probably like a gmc yukon and a yukon denali okay so neither one of them is going to be well i mean yukon there are kind of no bad jeeps. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, in this case, you know, the, I think the Grand Wagoneer is probably going to stretch up a little bit higher even than the the Denali does. So it's it's more like, you know, probably going to be like the difference between a Tahoe and, a, and an Escalade or an ex, an Expedition and a Navigator. All right. Look, if they can sell seventy five thousand uh, dollar uh, Wranglers, they can sell hundred thousand dollar grand wagoneer right and, yeah. and I, I have i have little doubt that you know a grand wagoneer plug-in hybrid you know with all the trimmings is easily going to be a six-figure vehicle yeah yeah but sure. you know i i think the market is there for that and i think also that um you know for the the family that has the tricked out uh rubicon or gladiator or whatever the other side of the garage bay is you know could be one of these the question is will they yeah. do a grand wagon your track hawk <laughs> of course they will <laughs> they, they won't call it the track hawk they'll call it like the hamptons eagle <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh all right so let's talk about the electrified jeep a little bit okay um so you the, know i, I kind of I, I made that one less important because it's less important to me but it's still cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, the the other thing that uh, the Jeep is revealing tomorrow morning, uh, as we record, is the Wrangler 4XE. And you know, they back in late 2017 when they launched the JL Wrangler. You know, at the time they said, you know, they they launched the Wrangler with you know the Pentastar V6 and a two liter turbo with 48 volt mild hybrid system. And they said at the time that there would be a plug in hybrid version coming in 2020. And then they showed, you know, they had this plug-in hybrid on display at CES this year at their booth, but they gave no details about it. The only thing you could see was the fact that, you know, there was a plug port on the, the driver's side front fender. Um, now we, ha we finally have the details on it. It's going into production in December. Um, and it's, it's using, uh, it keeps the two liter turbo, 48 volt mild hybrid. And it adds in the, the ZF eight-speed plug-in hybrid transmission, uh, which replaces the, the torque converter with uh, an electric motor. Uh, I think it's about a, a 90, 
90 horsepower uh, electric motor or 95 horsepower electric motor, something like that. Um, and all told, you know, this thing is going to produce 375 horsepower, 460 foot pounds of torque. So a little shy of a Hemi V8 and horsepower, but more torque than a Hemi V8. And because it's an electric, big electric motor in there, it's going to be instant torque. So this is going to be very interesting to drive off road. Um, you know, it's going to be available um, in base Sahara and Rubicon versions. So then you get the full on off road version of this. Um, there's a 17.1 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery that's underneath the, the rear seat. Um, the plug-in hybrid is only available on the four door, which these days that's what most Wranglers are is four doors. They sell far yeah. more than the two doors. Um, so the, there's a sealed liquid cooled battery underneath the rear seat. Um, it'll give uh, about 25 miles of all electric range. Uh, they're estimating the uh, overall fuel economy at about 50 MPGE, um, which, you know, for a vehicle of this type, I mean, this is going to, this is a 5,000 pound SUV that, you know, doesn't have, you know, great aerodynamics to say the least. Um, you know, if you can get 25 miles of electric range and 50 MPGE on it, I think you're doing pretty damn good. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, um, you know, in addition to the usual Wrangler uh, drive modes, you know, the off-road modes and things like that, you've got uh, two-speed transfer case, four-wheel, four-wheel drive high, four-wheel drive low. Um, and, you know, it's the same axles, the same Dana 44 axles is what you get on any other Wrangler. Uh, the same transfer case, same crawl ratios. Uh, the only difference is, you know, you've got all this extra power and torque now and the ability to go electric, you know, when you're going down, you know, going through the, the trails. Um, so this is going to be very interesting. No indication yet of the pricing. Um, you know, it's, I, I have little doubt that it's not going to be inexpensive, um, but uh, it's it's going to be very interesting to see consumer acceptance of this thing. So will you be able to put it in electric, like, let's say you're going to go out on some trails and you, can you go back and forth between modes? So you drive yeah. out there, save all your electric for off-road. Yep. So there's, you know, there, there's a mode where you can uh, tell it to, you know, run primarily on the engine and, you know, save the electric. And in fact, you can, there's one of the modes you can do is tell it to charge up the battery um, while you're driving so that when you arrive at your destination, the battery will be fully charged. So it'll use more gas that way, but you know, right. You know, it'll, it, you can have the battery fully charged. So when you hit the trail, you can switch over to pure electric mode and just drive purely on electric, you know, when which is kind of cool. Road. Yeah. And you know, 25 miles of, of range, you know, on the, on the EPA test, um, you know, most of the time when you're going off road, you're going pretty slow. Um, so, and you know, you're probably, I think most of the time, you know, not going that much farther than 25 miles, you know, I think, um, cause you're, you're, you're not going very fast typically. So, you know, you could probably do most of your off-roading in pure electric drive with this thing. Yeah. I, one thing that really struck me when I was reading through the press release was the 30 inches of water, water fording. Yeah. So, in this, even with the battery underneath there. Yeah. So all, all the, all the off-road specs are exactly the same as any other Wrangler, you know, same <laughs> approach and departure angles um, because the battery is up, you know, it's up above the drive shaft, you know, it's underneath the rear seat. 
Um, you know, the rear seat has been uh, redesigned. So it's, you know, flips and folds forward so you can access it for service. Um, but the, the battery is under the rear seat and, it, and it's completely sealed. Uh, so yeah, you retain the same water fording capability as you get in any other Wrangler. I do wonder if the ingress and egress is higher, if the um, ride height is higher. The ride, height, the is, the ride height is the same. But the ground clearance is, is it's higher. All, no, it's all the same. It's all the same. Yep. Interesting. Where'd they put the battery? Un under the rear seat. I know, but I'm just trying like. <laughs> I'll, I'll so it's above, it's above the frame. Um, right. I'm looking at the diagram now. I see it. Yeah. It just, I mean, it's kind of cool how they, it looks fairly bulky actually though. Am I being too literal? It's um, late at night. I, I don't do well. Yeah, late at night. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to tell until we actually see it, but yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, I don't think, you know, they say the, the passenger and cargo volume is the same, you know, so it hasn't changed any of that or, I mean, it's like within, you know, a couple inches. Right. Um, you know, so there's, there's no, there's no notable changes there. Um, yeah. You know, and they've, they've managed to pack it all in there somehow. Amazing. Yeah. That's cool. uh, clever engineers. And I, I think honestly, like for, for me, four cylinder Wranglers are the best Wranglers. I just, I think they're, the best, the extra torque of the electric uh, motors going to help. They sure are making a lot of different powertrains available in the the Wrangler and the the Gladiator and all the different uh, permutations of it. Um, My guess is that this. over the next couple of years, we're probably going to see some simplification. Like I would guess, the diesels probably not going to stick around much more than a couple more years. Yeah, even in Europe. Yeah, I bet the. Um, I bet the Pentastar is going to go at some point too. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, I think the, the, you know, the Pentastar will likely get replaced by this rumored inline six uh, that they've developed. Um, you know, and, you know, I think that Europe, Europe is probably going to be the biggest, maybe the end up being the biggest market for this plug-in hybrid Wrangler. Um, and uh, Europe. And what and about California. China though too? Uh, China as well for, for China, uh, I don't know about the Wrangler. The, I mean, they'll offer this, this one in, in China, but they're also developing some battery electric Jeeps for the Chinese market. Okay. And then they've got the Renegade and Compass in Europe. Yeah. Those are already on sale, plug-in hybrid versions of the Renegade and Compass. Okay. We're not getting the 4XE though. This is what it reads. It says Jeep Renegade 4XE and Compass 4XE models arrive in Europe this summer. Right. They don't indicate that they, we're getting them. Yeah. The, the hints I've gotten from Jeep um, uh, spokespeople is that uh, uh, probably the Compass will come to the U.S. market uh, at some point, uh, probably later in 2021. Okay. Um, maybe they're not sure about the uh, the Renegade yet, but the Compass probably will. Okay. Because you know it's in that same segment, you know, with vehicles like the uh, the Rav Four and the uh, the Escape, which also have hybrids and plug-in hybrids. Right. So they they may want to bring that one over here to compete with those. So it's their new. It's the hybrid Jeep brand is four XE across all the models. Four by E. Eventually. Four by E, not four XE. Yes. Okay. Oh, four by E. Sorry. Uh, if you say so. So there's a new S class in town. Um, and everybody today has been saying that it is underwhelming, which I completely disagree with. Uh, I think it, it's well like underwhelming in what, in what respect and just from a design standpoint. Yeah. It's yeah. conservative. 
which is it's an S class. It's supposed people. to be. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it looks like an overinflated C class. That's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all fine. All fine. I think it's lovely, quite honestly. And I love the 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 um the statement from their their styling chief saying, you know, like, yeah, our grill is stately or whatever he said. He's like, we we don't need to overdo it. <laughs> which i thought was great in this age of like giant Little dig. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> giant grills so uh no i mean the, the s-class is one of those sort of uh segment defining vehicles and I, I think that they have done it again it is it does look quite different than other products on the market as you say it's not that's not a bad thing but you're right the grill is is smaller and and the headlamps are a little bit larger. Yeah. Um, the I should know what this is called. The area below the grill, which the, doesn't even exist in grill. some cars anymore. The lower grill. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally you know, what it is. The, lo- the, the lower grill. <laughs> the lower um, grill. Yeah. That is the, so that is the, the, if you want to get technical, that is the high pressure area. Uh, okay. Um, uh, that's actually where then, most of the air comes in from. Most of that, the main part of the grill. I was going to call it the air intake yeah, area. That's, yeah, that, that, yeah. that is actually the primary air intake. Most of what's above the, you know, the classic, what people think of as the grill is actually blanked off. So there's no airflow through it. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So the, importantly, though, <laughs> it looks like a Mercedes. Yeah. You, you will not mistake this for anything but a Mercedes Benz, um, which is fine. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's certainly, it's not as radical as some of the concepts we've seen, you know, like the EQS concept and, you know, things like that. And I think as they start, you know, as they introduce those electric models, you know, those will have more radical designs than, than this one. Uh, so it's, either it's gorgeous you, though. I, I think, think it's lovely. I mean, it's really the interior is, the interior is lovely. Yeah, this, this, no, is yeah, the the for, this is the one for plutocrats and dictators. <laughs> did, did either of you have a chance to read the 30 something thousand words uh, you know, oh, ordinarily yes. absolutely but not today <laughs> <laughs> i was on cellular data i couldn't afford the gigabyte download of it. yeah um it it's that typical sort of s-class thing though they just they overdo it yeah i mean they're, they're well i mean mercedes and bmw in particular have a long history of of overwrought uh, press releases, but um, there there are actually a few interesting technical tidbits about this thing. Um, you know, there's there's a plug-in hybrid version that's coming, although it's not clear yet if it's going to be offered in the U.S. I, I would imagine it will be at some point, uh, but it's coming to to the European market next year. That's supposed to have 100 kilometers, 60 miles of electric driving range. Um, wow. The the two engines that we're getting here in North America initially are the the three liter inline six and the twin turbo four liter V8, both with 48 volt mild hybrid systems on them. Uh, the, you know, the screens inside, you know, lots of, as usual, lots of big screens, especially a particularly large center screen. Um, one of the interesting things they've done is they actually have a face recognition system in here now. So that when you get in the car, it recognizes you and it brings up your preferences automatically. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Um, the, the new version. I don't I don't think of those spies that get, you know, their faces reorganized. The, the, the latex face kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I don't, I don't want the car storing my face, my, my phrenology profile. No, thank you. The, the new version of the MBUX infotainment system um, is 
powered by three NVIDIA processors now. Uh, <laughs> apparently speaks 27 different languages. Of course three it does. NVIDIA processors. Like that's a gaming rig. That's, yeah. a, that's well, a lot that's, of- Yeah, uh, that's what you need to do natural language processing, uh, which it mm. apparently is pretty good at. We'll see. Uh, and then it does natural language processing on board. On board. So it's not like, yeah. not like connecting to the cloud. To, okay, I mean, it so also connects impressive. to the cloud, but it, it, does mo- it does it on board as well for when you don't have a cloud connection. So that actually, in practice, that should actually be better. Uh, because what you've noticed, what I've noticed is that the cars that sort of connect up to the cloud for it, um, they're, they're not as good if you're in a dead spot, you know? Well, that's why they all, they also have an, you know, they're, they're, they're hybrid systems, you know, that they, they'll use the cloud if the connection's available, if it's not, then they do it all on board and this should give it plenty of processing to do, you know, good stuff on board as well. That's good. Um, and then, um, a couple of other interesting tidbits, um, at least for Europe, they, you know, the, the U.S. press release makes no mention of this, so it's presumably not going to be offered here, is something they're calling Drive Pilot, which is a, a level three conditionally automated system, uh, which... Is that to compete with the Audi A8? Yes, except the A8 system never actually was launched. Uh, they, never, they never released it. Um, because the regulations didn't allow it and there was too much uncertainty about the regulations. There are now, uh, back in June of this year, they passed new regulations, uh, new UNEC harmonized regulations for level three systems. And so this, this cover, UNEC automotive regs cover all of, cover 60 countries, including all of Europe and most Asian countries. Um, and so the, the new rules allow these level three systems. So level three means that not only is it hands off like GM Super Cruise, but it's also eyes off. You don't have to be watching the road. You don't have to be constantly supervising the system, but you do have to stay behind the steering wheel. So you can't, you know, go back and take a nap. You can't, you know, can't crawl in the back seat. Um, but, you know, and it gives you, you know, when it re- is reaching the end of its range where it can operate, you have 10 seconds to take over control. Um, so, or it'll self-destruct. Yeah. So, so the rule. The, well, no, it'll it'll Sorry. bring the car to a stop. And you know, no, I know. I'm just. But it, it's you know the these systems you know for, for the, this regulation. Yeah. yeah. You know they've got to have a driver monitor system, which they have on here. Um, it's limited to 60 kilometers an hour, about 40 miles an hour, or 37 miles an hour. Uh, it has to be geofenced, so it's only on highways. So basically, it's designed for when you're in stop-and-go traffic on the highway up to 37 miles an hour. Uh, it Basically, you can just hand off control to the system, and, and it'll, you don't have to be constantly paying attention. It'll, it'll drive you more or less automatically in those conditions. I think what's most impressive to me about it is, um, you know, the S-Class has always had a certain level of, of subtlety, that hides the the advancement that's in it, you know? And so you start to dig into the details, like even we've talked about, you know, it has the, the onboard, the three onboard NVIDIA processors. It's It's got uh, lots of um, capabilities with its its systems. Uh, it's also got a, you know, coefficient of drag that's like 0.22, which is crazy low. Um, so they've done a lot of aerodynamic work on it uh, for, for a big car. Uh, you know, and and do they talk at all about the the digital? I'm, I'm assuming you you watched a, a sort of press introduction, but maybe not. Um, I did not. I had, I had oh, okay. uh, another call at the same time. So 
so what are the what are the digital lights that they're talking about with the oh the... yeah so this is um this is something that we're seeing from a number of again this is something i don't think will be available in in the u.s market because current regulations don't allow it but are those the ones that work like a dlp projector basically like yeah can, yeah, yeah. Uh, audi's got them in europe and you know other manufacturers are bringing them out so yeah it's in fact that's exactly what it is the dlp system so little micro mirrors um you know and leds and basically it can define a pattern you know one of the things uh, you know i haven't delved into all the details on this one yet but for example on the audi um uh, system you know it uses the forward facing camera to detect you know if there's a car coming towards you it will automatically dim the lights right where that vehicle is or if there's a pedestrian you know dim the lights right on on that area while keep so basically you can have your high beams on everywhere except where that car is so you don't blind the oncoming car um and you know it can also um do things like uh light up you know or, you know, give more intense light on the specific lane where you're supposed to be or, you know, bright, put brighter lighting, you know, on the track where your, where your wheels are heading. So you can see things like, you know, patches of ice or potholes, you know, and see, you know, you'll, you'll be able to see if your wheels are going to hit a pothole and steer, help steer around it. All kinds of crazy things like that, that aren't currently legal in the U S market. So they really like smart lights. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. We don't get the good stuff. No. I know, right? It's not legally, you know. And, and I think too, everybody complaining that they didn't break a whole lot of ground. It's the, you know, the end of their press release um, says uh, the loyalty rate for the S class is especially high. Uh, so, in the U.S., more than seventy percent of S class customers choose uh, eventually go on to choose another vehicle from Mercedes Benz. So. They know their buyer yeah. <laughs> for this car. Yeah, this car is what their buyers want to buy. So. Um, yeah, I just to send us them so we can try them out. I mean, I would love to just roll like a Kaiser in one of these things for a week. Uh, Not the Jeep really, Kaiser version. Yes, either way. Yeah. Either way, it's fine. Um, you know, new, new S-Class, again, it sort of like uh, sets the bar for the, the sort of um, aircraft carrier size. Yeah, you know, I mean, luxury the S-Class has always been, you know, the car where Mercedes introduces new technology. Um, you know, so things like in this case, you know, the, the level three automated driving, uh, is also an automated valet park assist system that's coming. Uh, they haven't said exactly when that's going to launch yet, but it's coming. Um, you know, in the past, you know, back in 78, the S class was where BMW or where Mercedes launched the first ABS system, the first electronic ABS system. You know, it had, it got the first stability control. It got the first traction control. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that have been first on the S class. I mean, even yeah. the keys are gorgeous. Yeah. It's, <laughs> like, it's crazy. No, the attention to detail is, is exquisite. And, and and it's, as it should well, it should be, be I mean, at this price point. It's a $100,000 car. So, yeah, it, at least. So, yeah, it, it absolutely should be. But I still appreciate it, though. Yeah. Oh, th this also has um, uh, an augmented reality heads-up display system. So, it's a, it's a multi-plane. Sounds like my dating life. That's not what you mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's a multi-plane heads-up display, so you have like you know the stand, you know the the nearer plane that gives you things like your speed and you know turn signals and things like that. But then at a plane that's for, that appears to be further away, it actually projects stuff like um, you know for your navigation prompts. You know it'll it'll actually put arrows you know to really show you you know here's where you want to turn right here. 
you know. Um, yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah. So. You know that the Mercedes SUV that I had a couple weeks ago, it had a fantastic heads up display as well. Yeah. And, you know, they, they say that it's analogous to watching a 77 inch uh, TV, you know, based on the size of this thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Not sure how, what distance you're looking at that 77 inch display, but you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I lied. It was the BMW that had the amazing heads up display. Ah. The Mercedes GLC 43 that I had did not have heads up display. As soon as I said it, I was like, I don't think that's right. Yeah, see, that seems like an oversight. <laughs> Just to clarify for our listeners who we love. All right. Well, I think uh, there, <laughs> this can be plenty more to talk about when yeah. these things get into the fleet. Um, so uh, now it's uh, it's your move, BMW or Genesis or well, new seven series is due Audi. next year, I think. So yeah, this has certainly set a high bar, though. Yeah, I mean, from a design and technology standpoint. Well, and you know, next week um, we'll be able to talk about the Lucid Air in more detail. Yes, and that one is setting a high bar, but. Yeah. One one thing we can say they they announced today actually they made it public today um, that uh, the Lucid Air um, runs quarter mile in nine point nine seconds for a big four door sedan. Wow, that's nuts. Just I mean, think that's, of all the pedestrians that that's, that's Rich Dodge is mow down. Uh, <laughs> right. oh I, I want a slow EV. I want a slow EV that costs fifteen thousand dollars. There's Prius. Buy, yeah. no, just buy, buy yourself a four-year-old uh, Nissan Leaf. Exactly. There okay. you go. That's fine. Yeah. I'll do that. All right. Let's do some questions. All right. Before, before we fall asleep at the a wheel. Andrew Garcia <laughs> asks. Uh, says, Hi guys. Uh, looking for a daily commuter to replace my 07 Honda CRV. I was hoping my CRV would last me until the release of the new Bronco, but it's pushing 200,000 miles and I'm starting to think it won't make it. I'm on Long Island, New York, uh, so I do have my fair share of Northeast winter that I may have, uh, have to contend with, so I'm looking for all-wheel drive. I'm not expecting to do much off-roading, maybe an occasional, beach, occasional drive on the beach. Looking for something more aggressive looking than the CRV with modern safety features. My wife is really opposed to the looks of the Super Forester. <laughs> I expect to put about 23,000 miles a year on it. All said and done, I'm looking to spend no more than $45,000. Do you have any thoughts for a replacement? Wow. What do you guys Long think? Island. Oh, let's Long see. Island. Oh, my God. Long <laughs> Island. If it was driving the beach, what beach? Like, is that like Rock, 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 Rockaway Beach? Or uh, I don't know. He doesn't say. <laughs> mm. Sorry. So, just, I, sort of so under under 45 grand, more aggressive looking than a CRV. I mean, I, I went, when I was reading this, I went to the Passport and the Blazer. Um. The police. Yeah, mm. that's that's an interesting choice. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if that's the kind of aggressive he was looking for. You know, gi given that you know he specifically called out he was waiting on the Bronco. Um, I'm not sure if the the Blazer is. I mean, it's you know certainly worth mentioning. Well, I mean, then a Wrangler, then right? Yeah, yeah. So, Wrangler's definitely yeah. Wrangler's a possibility. You know, Wrangler Unlimited. Um, and I think that the Wrangler is just if you're doing twenty three thousand miles a year in a Wrangler. That's that's <laughs> yo, yeah. Jesus. That I, might that's get tired. I went to the Passport <laughs> yeah. and the Blazer. I, I, I agree. I think I think the I think the Passport in particular is probably a, you know a good one for him to consider. You know, sounds like he's a uh, you know Honda kind of person. Um, yeah. So know, the, the Passport's a little larger though. Um, so here's here's the thing. Like, I guess my first. No, but it's comparable in size rogue. to a Bronco. Uh, yeah. Oh. Hmm. Okay. I guess the pilot. My, my the pilot's definitely bigger, but yeah. the passport. Yeah. I like the passport a lot. Yeah. No, the passport's great. 
my first advice would be like just save your money and just wait until the CRV actually dies. Well, yeah, uh, assuming, assuming it, it doesn't, you know, assuming it makes it through the winter into next spring, then that's, that's certainly an option. Then it's Bronco time. But if it doesn't, um, then, you know, yeah. he, if he needs something sooner, then, you know, this is, this is what we're making suggestions for. So certainly yeah, the passport's, right. so, uh, passport's an option. Passport's an option. And, and um, the, the Honda Passport, just for clarification, the one that I drove on the launch topped out at 43.6. So it, it starts at 31.9, which yeah. is not one I would recommend. But it's it's it within that price point that it doesn't want to spend over 45. And you can probably get, you know, I think you can probably get a little bit of a deal. It has 5,000 towing capacity. He didn't mention that he needs to tow it all. But we actually had it. Uh, we spent that's, most that's of good the day. Right. Yeah. You know, it, on off-road and it did really, really well. Um, I believe that was the one, Sam, that didn't have the... Uh, it's it's on the fly, but it's a little bit awkward to change the modes. That was my only complaint. I remember yeah. with that, but the Blazer is another really good option, I think. Yeah, Bla- Blazer is definitely worth a look. Um, you know, also so, um, the, the Toyota Rav Four. Forcers, I like the Rav Four. Um, I especially like the Rav Four Hybrid. Uh, I was thinking, so there's the Rogue. If you want to stay in the same class, like you Yeah, but those are not like, masculine looking. Right. And that's what I was going to say is like, if you want to stay in that class and you're looking for something that's sort of like aggressive, like the RAV4 offers a sort of aggressive looking version. But if you wanted to. Well, yeah, because I had the, um, I had the Toyota RAV4 TRD off road. That was actually right. a lot of fun. Yeah. That was, that was the, um, that was sort of the the uh, off roady kind of yeah, edition. That's, that's, of that's it. the one that Ezra Dyer tried to drown and he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> like he drove, he kept fording a, a, a river with it. Hopefully, <laughs> I had it before him. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe he had a different one. It, it, I, so it's one of those things like it'll actually do a lot more than you think. Um, so yeah, I, that's not bad. You know, the the escape is also within the same class, but again, like it's it's certainly not. But it's not, I, yeah, I don't think it's the look he's looking for. But um, you might want to consider the Bronco Sport, uh, which is you know is definitely in that uh, yeah. price you know, yeah. in that price range, and, I, and it's got the I think the look that he's probably interested in. And you know, if he, if if what he's interested in is. Um, you know, something, you know, to, for some customization, you know, there's going to be a lot of customization options for the Bronco sport. Right. Yeah. Um, if you can make it that long. Right. Yeah. If you can make it that long. Well, the, yeah. Bron- so, the Bronco sport should be out in like November, December. Oh, oh, it's, oh it's, okay. com- it's coming out. Car based. Yeah. So that is a very different vehicle than that, the that's Bronco. true. But, but it, you know, it, it's, you know, it's more like, you know, Jeep compass or Cherokee, you know, it's, it's, right. a, it's a much more ruggedized version. You know, it's, it's probably, you know, even more so than the passport, you know, it's designed as an off-road alternative because what they did with escape and Bronco sport is, you know, kind of diverged and made the escape more car-like this time. And because they knew they were doing the Bronco sport as the more ruggedized off-road version. Right. Yeah. And, and so I was actually going to um, recommend the, the Jeep compass because I think that that's actually distinctive looking and it, it drives well and it's, it's packaged nicely. Um, and they're, they're not super duper expensive. Um, you know, so I, I like that one a lot. Uh, if you wanted to go with something that's even a little tougher, you could consider a Toyota Rav. I mean, a Toyota 4Runner. 
Um, yeah, the forerunner's now, awesome. But that's like, it's a little bit more of a commitment. You gotta, you gotta drive it and understand what you're sort of getting into there. It's the same as the Wrangler in that sense. Um, like it's, it's a little, little trucky because uh, that's exactly what it is. As a sort of completely different kind of alternative, I was thinking of the Land Rover Defender because um, I wasn't sure where that started, but that one starts at about fifty thousand. But there is the Land Rover Discovery Sport, which oh, starts at starts Sport, at thirty eight. Right? So, is it really? Yeah. Wow, and it's got that. It's still got that weird nine speed transmission in it. Uh, yeah. which, the comp- which the compass also has yeah. don't get me wrong um yeah all right so I you know there's there's some options out yeah. there i mean if we're gonna spend all your money yeah like a land rover <laughs> well i mean you know he said go, 45 man. grand so you know yeah. you can get an entry-level you know land rover sport in there or you discovery can get yourself sport. a really like uh, a good deal on a used lr4 especially the one with like the supercharged ah, v8 so there there's you go. plenty of stuff to break yeah <laughs> there you go or a land uh, range rover sport there you go um yeah all right next, now it's ne- ridiculous. next up <laughs> elliot johnson asks love the show uh relatively new listener um yeah, thank you uh elliot for joining us um have a theory maybe i read it somewhere that every car maker has a model that best represents them from all of their other vehicles uh, from which all their other vehicles are derived from Mercedes, the CS class, which we were just talking about BMW, the three series for Jeep is the Wrangler. Um, that doesn't mean this model is the most profitable or best selling, but if forced, if you force the automaker to make only one car, that's the one they would pick. I've always felt that you can't go wrong with that vehicle. And it's a safe pick when choosing between cars of a given class example, you can always confidently buy a three series without worrying about how it compares to the A4 or Mercedes C class. Uh, I was wondering whether you agree or find this line of thinking useful. Uh, who would like to go first? Dan, why don't you go first? Okay. <laughs> I, I think that uh, that's not a, it's not a bad way to look at it. Um, there's definitely uh, a personality that automakers try to put into their their cars, especially premium automakers. You know, like I, I did find that, uh, you know, when I bought a lot of Volvos back to back, you know, Volvos drive like Volvos across generations. Um, and it's very similar for, you know, the the, the three series and the, the C-Class and stuff like they, they drive like um, they drive like they're a part of that family. And part of it is like just the way they do things, you know, where the controls are, how they're marked, what they're, you know, how they operate, that kind of thing is, it tends to be um, pretty consistent. So that gives you a consistent experience. Um, and, and yeah, like they're all going to be, they're, they're sort of their own thing. If you're not comparing, they're going to do what they do and do what you expect them to do. Uh, and when you start to compare, you can see which which has you know strengths or weaknesses um, among the, the, the classes. I will say it gets a little mushy when you get down to the sort of uh, more, I guess, mainstream vehicles. You can tell like an Accord from a Camry, but I have a little bit harder time sort of separating all of the, all the like, you know, just blue chip cars from each other you know other than like yeah it it goes down the road and the controls work (laughs) other than that they don't all have a lot of personality so um it it tends to be more of like a premium car thing but i think it's a good way to look at it rebecca your thoughts i i think so too i think it's a it's an it's an interesting theory to think about 
uh, Elliot, and I'm glad that he brought it up because it gets back to like one of my business philosophies is why. It's a Simon Sinek book, Start With Why. It's like, why do you do what you do? And I think that it can be embodied in specific vehicles. And to Dan's point, it does tend to be more of a luxury brand, but at the same time, I think if you pressed Honda, they would say the Accord is their iconic vehicle on some level, or, or maybe the Civic. Sorry? Well, I was just gonna say a quarter Civic. You know. Right, a quarter Civic. And it's kind of like that embodies why they do what they do to make this you know, reliable. Well, actually, I don't know why they do what they do. That's one of the issues that, you know, <laughs> legacy manufacturers have that Tesla, for instance, doesn't have uh, because they're, you know, their reason for being is, is a little bit more clear and hasn't gotten muddled over the years. But I think it's a really cool way of looking at it. I think it's a, it's a great way to, to investigate a brand, to understand uh, a brand's philosophy and, you know, to Dan's point, you're going to understand how that vehicle drives, especially if they've done a good job of being consistent. You know, if the car and truck people talk to each other, if the interior and exterior people talk to each other, if they're not designing these products in isolation, I think that that goes to corporate culture also. So it was like the, yeah, the classic GM problem where like nobody exactly. talked to each other. Right. <laughs> nobody just, was talking to each other. Yeah. And so I think that, it you can see it reflected in you can see corporate culture reflected in the cars that that they produce and so i think it's a really cool way of looking at it i like it yeah yeah i i agree you know and it it doesn't apply to every brand you know i think there are some brands that don't really have an icon like that but but a lot of brands do have have these kind of iconic models you know and, and to the you know the comment in here you know if you force the automaker to make only one car that's the one they would pick the the ultimate example of that is ford you know they yes. they now make only one car and it's the mustang right. <laughs> you know the mustang is the car that represents ford you know i think you know if you went to chevrolet I thought that was the f150 <laughs> the f150 is the one that makes all the money yeah. But, you know, if you, if you talk to Bill Ford or you talk, you know, you talk to, you know, anybody at Ford, you know, in product development or marketing, you know, say, what is the, what is the one product that really represents the heart of Ford? It's the Mustang. You know, that's, that's the one. And, you know, that's why it's still in production and will be for some time. It's not going anywhere. Um, you know, even though they got rid of, you know, a lot of other cars that sell in much higher volumes, you know, the, the Mustang is the one at, at Chevrolet, you know, I would say it's the Corvette, you know, that is the, you know, the beating heart of Chevrolet. Um, but you know, there's some, you know, Honda, you know, you could say the Civic or Accord Toyota. I don't know if they, you know, if they do have one that, you know, that really fits, you know, maybe the Corolla or the Camry, um, you know, which kind of tells you a bit about, yeah, you know, although you know today, you know it might be it might be the Supra, the even Supra. though even though that's not really a Toyota. I mean, yeah, yeah, so I know it's, it's not enough of a Toyota. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, you know the, the and you know I mean you look at Nissan, you know what what's the car that you know is the heart of Nissan? You know the GTR maybe. 
it the used Z? to be the Z. Yeah, it was the Z for a long time. You know, today it's yeah, probably... but like the 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 same Z. For yeah, long time. <laughs> well, fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the, these 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 kinds of cars often are long running. You know, with you know minimal or very evolutionary change. The, uh, yeah, the the, the, the nine eleven. You know, is a great example. You know, oh, but the nine eleven has had a lot of change. It's had a lot of change, but you can still see that same DNA. You know, from yeah, that, from 1963 sure. to today. I think that 9-11 is probably one of the most iconic examples. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Yeah. All right, I'll give you that. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, good, it's, uh, a great, it's a great question. Love it, thank experiment. you. Uh, uh, do we have one more or are we going to- uh, Let's leave that one for next week and come back to that one next week. Okay. Are we, are we, are we like skirting all the actual criticism? <laughs> well, it's, it's late and you know, I, I, I think it would probably be worth it to give, the, give that one a little more time. Yes, okay. I agree. So all right. we'll come back to Blake Swan next week. All right, Blake. We haven't forgotten about you, Blake. You're, we're just going to, yeah. we're going to give yeah. it more time. Yep. You're on our radar. There you go. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We got to let, uh, let us all go to bed now so we can wake up and do it again tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Oh, and one last thing. While we were recording this, I got a notice that the... Uh, Ford's canceling the Mustang? Pitcher, <laughs> no, the great pitcher Tom Seaver passed away at 75 oh. years old from the New York Mets 1969 World Series. I just had to... Well, I said, since you guys don't pay attention to sports, I just had to say that. So rest in peace, Tom Seaver. Rebecca's favorite uh, favorite French restaurant in New York? Shasty. <laughs> That's awesome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.